Good morning. If you would, uh, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Lord, you, you're worthy of our worship and our lives and, and everything we have, Lord. We just give them to you this morning, God. I, I'm thankful that it's your desire. You are more anxious about meeting with us this morning than, than us being excited to come to church. Uh, you want to talk to us, Lord. You love us so much, Jesus. You died for us. And pray that our hearts would be soft and sensitive this morning, God, that we'd have ears to hear what you would have to say to us, Lord, in your name. Amen. Last week we looked at Jesus uh, defending his disciples. They were, they were doing things on the Sabbath day that, that in the eyes of the religious leaders were not right. So Jesus is defending his disciples. And then he goes on and performs miracles on the Sabbath day. Jesus does whatever he wants on the Sabbath day. He's explaining what the Sabbath day is all about and, and the meaning of it. So uh, it moves on from there, verse 12, um, in chapter 6, Jesus chooses 12 apostles, handpicks them, and then it says this in verse 17, and this, uh, this is very similar to Matthew's account, um, a condensed version of the Sermon on the Mount. Some people call this the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus comes into a a level place and begins to teach his disciples and his apostles. Number one, he's going to warn them. And number two, he's going to instruct them because life is not always easy. And and, uh, so it says this in verse 17, he came down with them And stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases as as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out of him and he healed them all. So Jesus here, if you have kids or uh, maybe you're a teacher, um, we, I've got a large family, and sometimes we sit at the kitchen table, and one of, my, one of the kids is talking to me, then another kid is talking to me, then they're all pulling on me, and I've got little ones, they're tugging and pulling, and, 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 and that's just my kitchen. Uh, and Jesus, it said, all these regions, Jerusalem, Judea, you know, all these people are tugging on Jesus, they want something. They're looking to be healed. They're looking to be talked to. They're looking for something from Jesus. And that's, if you've got kids, that's usually, you know, they're tugging on you. I love you, Dad. Do you you have a dollar? Now it's, you know, do you have $10? (laughs) Right? A dollar doesn't get you very, very far. Even in the snack, we got a snack shack here at school. I don't know if you can buy anything for a dollar anymore. Maybe one of those ring pops or something. Ring sucker. Um, But, Jesus is being tugged on, pulled on. People want things, and that's good. That's why Jesus draws people to himself. Why? Because he wants to give, because he cares, because he loves. He wants to hear from people. He's okay with you tugging on his shirt, with you asking him something, requesting something. He cares. He loves you, and he loves me. But as he goes on and he has this great crowd, this multitude, some people are only following him for what he can give them, but some people are just, Lord, I want to follow you. Some of those people are his disciples. Some of them are his apostles. And so he begins to warn them. 
that, that if you've got the Hallmark Channel or maybe you have Disney, your life isn't always the Hallmark Channel or Disney, right? It's not easy always. It's not always easy. And he's warning his disciples, if you're going to follow me, actually things might get a little harder. Things might get more difficult if you want to follow me. If you want to serve me, things might get harder, right? So, so many people, you know, their witness to, to people and to the world is, oh man, come to Jesus and he'll make everything better. No, he'll save your soul, but things might get harder in your life. People might not like you. And we're, we're going to go over some of those verses, uh, but here's the reality. We, turn to Revelation chapter 21 with me for a second. Revelation 21, because here's the end of the story. Jesus is going to compare and contrast lives, people, the way you live and how you live and what you're living for. But it's nice to have the end of the story, to know what God says about the end of a life. Actually, I'm going to read chapter 20, verse 11, and then we're going to get into chapter 21. It says this, I saw a great white throne, And him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, both small and great, stand before God. And it says the books were opened. That's the book of your life. That's a record of everything you've done. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. It's the Lamb's book of life. That's the name when you become born again. When you're a Christian, your name is written in that book. Some people think that actually when you're born, your name is already in that book and it doesn't get blotted out. Jesus talks about blotting your name out of the book of life. And it says, The dead were judged according to their works. That's the record of your life by the things which were written in the books, the library of your life. But if you're in the Lamb's book of life, it says the handwriting, Colossians says the handwriting of ordinances that were against you are blotted out. They're taken out of the way. Your sins are remembered no more because of Jesus' blood. And it says that the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades were delivered up death who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And Jesus always warned about that. How? And he didn't come to condemn the world. He came because the world was condemned already. He came to save the world. In verse 15, it says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then here's the ending, if you're a Christian. Verse 1 of chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And listen, here it is. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that amazing? God is going to wipe away every tear. For they'll be, why? Because there's no more death or sorrow or crying, no more pain, 
and the former things are passed away. This life is full of death, sorrow, sickness, pain. But one day, Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and he's going to fix everything that was broken in the garden. We have eternity to look forward to. Heaven's our home if you're a Christian. This, but this life, and he's warning his disciples, is going to be full of pain. Every one of his disciples is going to suffer and die a martyr's death outside of John the Apostle. Their life is going to be cut short because of their testimony and their witness of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself will die, 33 years old. Stephen, stoned to death, first martyr of the church where Paul is holding the the clothes of the the garments of the guys that are chucking stones at this guy. We live in a country where we don't suffer these things right now. Many countries in in the world right now, if you're a Christian, you're suffering. You can't do what we're doing. You can't have church service. You can't worship. You can't meet. You can't own a Bible for fear of persecution and death. But it says this, verse 20, back in Luke chapter 6, it says he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples. He looks right at them. This is important, right? Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, they cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. And then he contrasts that life with this life. He says, Woe to you that are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So he's comparing and contrasting. Woe to you who are poor. And that doesn't mean like I don't have any money, right? And he compares that with someone who's rich. And he says this, you've received your consolation. It's the comfort where you get your comfort in this life. There was a church Jesus wrote to in in Revelation chapter 3. He says this in in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. These are to the seven churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Verse 14, he says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold or hot. He says, I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth, right? That's like you have hot coffee and you're looking forward to it, but you, you forgot you set it down somewhere and you come back to it. Like, oh man, this was great when I started it. And you take a swig and it's like, lukewarm you know it either needs ice cubes or needs to get heated up in the microwave but you take that sip and it's like oh what is this 
That's what Jesus is saying. Because you're not cold, you're not hot, you're okay with Jesus, you're okay with God. It's okay if somebody wants to go to church. But you're right there, you're lukewarm, you're in the middle. I'm not cold, I'm not against it. But I'm not for it either. He says, you're lukewarm. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich. Here's the problem. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know. Here's the, the, there's their estimation. Listen, I have everything I want in this life. I'm rich. I've got the house I want, the, the spouse I want, the car I want. I live where I want, the job I want. I've got it all lined up. And, you know, that doesn't happen a lot. But in Laodicea, they had it. He says, but this is what you don't know, that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you might be rich and white garments that you might be clothed that the shame of your nakedness might not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you might see. And, and Laodicea was known for their, their eye salve, right? I, I remember I used to tell people I'm from Perry, you know, Archway Cookies or Champion. Now that's, that's no more. People are like, what? Archway Cookies? I've never heard of those, right? Like, yeah, don't, you don't know, never mind, right? So they were known for this eye salve. They would make it and, and it would get shipped around the areas and and people would use it and so jesus says listen you need eye salve you need to be able to see because you're blind he says as many as i love i rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent if i love you right you tell your kids that all the time i'm not i'm telling you this not because i'm don't want you to have fun or i'm mad at you it's because i love you i don't want to see you get hurt I want to see you go down that road. I've been down that road. I, I walked that road or whatever. See, it's our comforting consolation in this life. Is it, is it, are we satisfied with something or someone? And he's telling his, his disciples, it's okay if you're poor. Matthew's account says you're poor in spirit, that you're broken over yourself, over your sin, that nothing really satisfies you. You're not happy. Your life might be perfect in other people's eyes, but you're living it and you wake up every day, you're miserable. You're a wretch. You don't feel good. People are like, man, they envy your life maybe. But outside of Christ, you're empty. You're bankrupt. And that's why Jesus said, he's not saying you can't be rich. He's saying, is that where your consolation is? Is that where your comfort is? That's your final goal to be rich. And then he says, blessed are you who hunger now, you'll be filled. And then he warns to those who are full, you're going to be hungry. He, he tells the woman at the well, and I talk about her all the time, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, it's a true account, where this woman is going to the well, going to the well, she can't even go because she, all her friends are gone, she's, she's broken up marriages, she's been married five times, she's on her next marriage, and Jesus said, listen, if you drink from this well, you're going to thirst again. It's, it's not just that well, it's the well of relationships, it's any other well outside of me. He says, but if you drink the water that I have to give, You'll never thirst again. And out of the, your innermost being will spring a well of life everlasting. 
I've got something better than that well. And the woman gets saved. Jesus, in John chapter 6, says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes on me shall never thirst. That's the hunger people are looking for. If you read Revelation, sorry, you guys don't have to turn there. I'll turn there real quick. Revelation chapter 21. He said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. And then he says, I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to the person who thirsts, if you're thirsty. So many people fill themselves up with things. They think this is what matters. This is going to satisfy me. This is going to do it. And, they, and, and you jump from one thing to the next to the next thinking that's going to fill the void, the hole, the emptiness. And Jesus says, listen, if you're thirsty in this life, I've got it. It's the water of life and it's free. You've got to come to me says this in chapter 22, verse 17. It says, the Spirit and the bride say come. That's, that's God's Holy Spirit and the bride, that's his church. The church should be inviting and welcoming. There should be an inviting, something inviting about your life and who you are. It should be loving. When we come here on Sunday mornings, shouldn't just say hi to the same people every week. Your same little comfort zone, we can all do it. Should be something inviting about your life. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Your life should be inviting. Like, what do they have that I don't have? What's different about them? And then he says, let him who hears say, come. Not everyone is listening, not everyone can hear. Not everyone cares. In fact, that's what Jesus is going to say. As he continues this teaching, he says, he's going to say, but I say to you, him who hears. Like after these first few verses that we read, probably some of this great multitude, he just loses them. They just tune out. Hey, tell me when, tell me when you're, he's giving something away again. Tell me when he's healing somebody again. Tell me when he's going to you know, multiply the loaves and fishes again. Then I'll tune back in. I say to you who hear, <clears throat> the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who is a thirst come. And whoever desires, let him come and take the water of life freely. Got to take it. Got to take it. That's what people are longing for. Blessed are those who hunger now. What are you hungering for? He says, you will be filled. But woe to you who are full, you're going to be hungry. That's what you're doing is never going to satisfy. He says, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. The disciples are going to go through a lot. The apostles are going to go through a lot. They might have more tears than, than a lot of people living in Israel. They're going to suffer greatly. The church is going to suffer greatly. Blessed are you who weep now. You, you're going to laugh. That's why, you know, I read Revelation chapter 21. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. Tears are going to be wiped away. There's no more death or sorrow, pain. 
suffering, no more hospitals, no more foster care system, uh, no more anything that we associate with pain and death and suffering. It's all going to be done away with. Blessed are you when men hate you. Verse 22, and when they exclude you, they revile you, they talk about you. They cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Make sure, Christian, that it's for the Son of Man's sake. That it's because you're being a, that, that I'm living a godly life. I'm a Christian, right? Because some people, I don't, is it okay to say, you know, hopefully they're not throwing your name out there, excluding you because you're being a jerk, right? Can I say jerk? I don't know. Right? Right? You're just a jerk. Like no one wants to be around you because of your attitude, who you are, right? That's, that doesn't, all right, you might be excluded, but it's not because you're a Christian, because you're not nice. You're not fun to be around. You're not nice to be around. You're not representing the Lord at all. But when they hate you, they exclude you, they revile you, they cast your name out as evil for my name's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Indeed, your reward is great in heaven. God sees that. I, I just recently, and this isn't even a big deal, I don't even care, but some, someone in my family called me, hey, Harley, how's it going? Listen, I want to tell you we're having a party in case you find out, but I'm not going to invite you because we're going to be drinking and I, I know you don't like that. And so I just, okay, I don't have to come. <laughs> you didn't have to call me, whatever. I, but that might happen, right? Maybe that's happened to you. Like, I actually got the phone call, though, and say, hey, well, you're not, sorry, you're not welcome to come. If you hear about it, don't come, right? Because I don't want to be convicted or whatever. I don't know what it is. And I don't, listen, that it, it, I wouldn't have cared, right? I love my family. People are going to, you live your life, don't you? You know, you go through high school, you go through school, and you want to be accepted. You want to be loved. You want people to embrace you. You want to be like other people so you can be part of a group. And, and, and it, you know, it starts in high school or whatever. And then, you know, you, you get older and then you get saved and then Jesus is like, hey, people might not like you if you follow me. You're not going to be included. You might get the phone call. Hey, sorry, you can't come to the party this weekend. All right. And then he says, they did that to the prophets. Many of the prophets in the Old Testament, you read about them, they were killed, they were persecuted. People did not want to hear what they had to say. Their life represented conviction. And many of the prophets, if you read about them, they were killed. They were sawn in half, sawn lengthwise in half, killed, murdered by Jews, by their own people. Why? Because Somebody was telling them the truth. Don't, don't you want to know the truth? Don't you want to hear the truth? That's better than me saying, oh, don't worry. You, everyone's going to heaven. You're fine. You're good. Don't worry about it. And then one day, you close your eyes and you open your eyes and there's the Lord. Well, well the pastor said I was fine. Everyone's going to heaven. That's not true. And the false prophets were saying things that weren't true because they wanted to be accepted. They wanted to be the popular prophet. 
They didn't want to be in trouble. They didn't want to be excluded. Paul told Timothy, the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And Paul's telling Timothy, it's his son in the faith. Timothy is a guy that Paul was sending out to establish churches, strengthen churches, set things in order, set up pastors and elders and deacons. He says, there's going to be a time coming that they won't endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They open the Bible and they speak lies, right? They heap to themselves. That's like going through the buffet line, right? You get one chance, you got one plate. You're wondering why you don't get to go twice. So you take your plate through and you paid $50. So you start heaping it on, right? Heaping it on. I can only go up one time. And that's what, the, that's what that word means. They're heaping to themselves, teachers, because they have itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear not what I should hear, right? And, and people go find churches like that. They find pastors like that. They find, I just tell me I'm okay. Tell me my family's okay. Tell me we're good. I only have to come at Christmas and Easter, whatever, right? Tell me what I want to hear. And Jesus said, that's what they did to the false prophets. Be careful if everyone's just speaking well of you. And then he says this in verse 27. But I say to you who hear. So some people tune Jesus out at this point. All right, well, tell me, wake me up when he's done talking about that stuff. Tell me when when he starts serving the fish. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. This is radical. Right? Do you guys love your enemies and do good to those that hate you? Before I was a Christian, I definitely didn't. And he uses the word love. It's agape, love. There's a lot of words for love in the Bible. Phileo, that's a, where we get our word Philadelphia. That's a brotherly love, right? Eros, that's like a marriage love. Physical love, storge is a family love, but he uses the word agape. That's an unconditional love. That's a love expecting nothing in return. I'm just going to love you. I don't care if you love me back. I'm just going to do things for you, and Jesus is going to explain what that love looks like. It's in deed, it's in word, it's in prayer. And Jesus said, Love your enemies. And do good to those who hate you. That's radical. Like, who does that? Jesus said, I have a new command, that you love others. He said this in John 13, that you love others the way I loved you. Don't love them the way you want to love people, but love people the way I love you. What? That Jesus first loved us, the Bible said, when we were at our worst. And then he says, that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Can people tell you're his disciple? Because he didn't say by your scripture knowledge or your, you know, your sword drills, how, how well you know the Bible, 
or how much you attend church or how much you give. He says, this is how people are going to know. This is how your neighbors are going to know. This is how the world is going to know. It's the love you have, agape love, for one another. So Jesus says that. Listen, I I, want to tell you, the people that are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you. Do good. Active. The, The Bible says that God is love. Right? He's just, he's righteous, he's holy, but it's all based on his love and who he is. He loves people. He loves you and I. Do good to those who hate you. What? Do something nice? Bless those who curse you. What? They're talking about me. They're lying about me. And pray for those. Listen, if you can't do good, if you can't talk well, this is something you can do. You can pray for people. You can pray for people. No, I don't want you to do anything. No, I don't want to talk to you. And that's okay. Guess what you can still do? You can pray for him. And then he says, to him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. That would have not, that, I wouldn't have wrote that. Right? You know, your motto normally is, you know, strike them before they strike you. Right? Hit them before they hit you. That's how you win a fight, generally. He says, no, the one who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. Part of what Jesus is saying here is, is if you became a Christian, you would be uh, excommunicated from the, the synagogue, from church. Like the, 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 the um, rabbi would not let you come in. And what he would do is he would come walk up to you and slap you across the face. And then he might slap you across the, the other side. Jesus said, that's okay. They might reject you. I never will. I never will. People are going to reject you. Him who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Right? Those are both garments that you would wear if it's cold. Now people are taking advantage of you. Give to everyone who asks, asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, don't ask him back. Don't ask him back. People are going to take advantage. And then he says this. Here's the golden rule. Probably this is one of the things that a lot of people know. If they don't know the Bible, this is one thing people do know. Uh, it's known as the golden rule. He says, just as men, just as you want men to do to you, do also, you also do to them likewise. So he's making this active. And I tell my kids this all the time. I, I don't just say, hey, Josh, quit pushing Isaac around. Quit pushing him down the stairs and throwing your dirty clothes on his bed or whatever. Like, do something nice for him. And I'm picking on Josh because sometimes I have this conversation with him. But all my kids, like, we should do, the, the way you want to be treated Jesus is saying, is the way you should treat people. Whether they're going to treat you that way or not. Like, and, and I try to explain to, to my kids, like, don't you like it when mom and dad are patient with you? So should you be patient with Isaac? 
not just enduring, but how about being loving and kind? And that's what Jesus is saying. The way you want to be treated, put that in gear in your life and treat people that way. Just go ahead and try it during the day. Treat people kind, loving. Just think about the way you'd want to be treated in a situation, right? You messed up. Well, somebody messed up at work and I'm going to ream them out. I've been waiting to ream that guy out. What a jerk. And you start reaming them out and giving them a what for. And then the next day you do it. You're like, oh, I just need grace. That was a mistake. Don't you know how much I've got on me at home? I've got all these bills due. I've got this going on. Geez, just be patient with me. Well, that's the way you should have been the day before. People want grace. They want love. They want mercy. Right? Treat people that way. That's what Jesus is explaining what love looks like. And then he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For sinners lend to sinners and receive much back with interest. But he says, love your enemies, do good, lend, hoping nothing in return, and your reward will be great. It's in heaven. You'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. And then he says, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. That's a scripture everyone knows too. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, man. You're judging me. Right? And Jesus says that. He does. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you'll not be condemned. It's, what Jesus is talking about is being judge, jury, and judge. Like coming into a situation and you've got the inside track and you want to tell somebody and put them in their place or talk about them. And Jesus says, hey, don't be judgmental. But the Bible says, and Jesus, we're going to look at it in about three minutes, that you know somebody by their fruit, just the fruit of their life. It's normal. That's how you identify a tree. You see what's hanging, the fruit that's hanging off of it, right? It's best to look in the fall around here because that's when the cherries and the peaches and the apples, right? You might not be able to know what kind of fruit it is until the or what kind of tree it is until the fruit comes out. Unless you're familiar. But Jesus is saying, don't judge, don't condemn. And you'll not be... Con if you have that attitude of being so judgmental all the time, you know what? People are going to be very judgmental towards you. That's what he's saying. Just a judgmental attitude. Very, have, you have to say something about someone all the time or talk about a situation or give your insight or two cents. Then guess what? People are going to want to do that to you. He said, and then he says, give and it will be given. Good measure, pressed down. Or first he says, forgive and you'll be forgiven. <laughs> so he talks about forgiving and giving. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. If you're a forgiving person, people know that. And they're going to cut you some slack and give you some grace at work, at home. Give and it'll be given to you. And I love how Jesus words this. He says, give, it'll be given, and then he describes it. It's in good measure, 
pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you again. Right? I'm going to give them this much grace, or this much mercy. I'm going to be forgiving. I'll forgive one time. Don't try. Don't cross me again. Jesus says, if this is who you are, it's going to be given, man, it's going to be overflowing in your life. Exactly what you need. And then he said, he, put, he, he spoke a parable to them. And we're going to finish the chapter very fast. He spoke a parable to them. And a parable is to lay things alongside of each other so you can understand it, right? It's kind of a picture. So you can look at one thing, like a tree, and then say, oh, we're supposed to have fruit too? Or, and Jesus lays this picture out. He says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they both not both fall into a ditch? And then he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And then he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove that speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that's in your own eye? He says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. A hypocrite is somebody who wears a mask. Right? It was, it was, if you were an actor, you'd be called a hypocrite. You'd, you'd have a whole bag full of masks and you'd pull one out for home. You'd pull one out for church. You'd pull one out for work. You'd pull one out for your friends. And you just were different, a different person. You want your friends or people at church to think this is who you are. He says, you're being a hypocrite. And he talks about a, a speck and a plank. And, and it means the same substance, right? The same kind of wood. Like I used to do flooring. They put in Brazilian cherry and all kind. Now everything's vinyl plank. And, but we used to do a lot of hardwood. We'd do exotic hardwood and, and Brazilian cherry and different things or oak or maple, curly maple, all kinds of stuff. And he's saying that little speck of Brazilian cherry that's in your, eye, that's in your neighbor's eye that you can see so clearly, well, you've got a log hanging out of your eye. The same thing, right? Because our sin in our life looks bad on other people is what he's saying man we can so, we can see pride or we can see this motive or th- and and we're like hey dude let me get that little you're as you're smacking him in the head with right or you roll over in bed and you want to tell your wife something and you hit her with that the speck that's in her eye probably came from the it's a splinter from the log that's in your eye right he says be careful because a lot of the things that you have in your own life, are, you're, you're so aware of it in other people's lives. You've got to be careful. We want to correct people all the time, and, we, and it's hard for us to see our own flaws and our own faults. And then he says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. Men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. But a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
There's an examination in your own life and in my own life. What kind of fruit do we have? That, that fruit and works are two different things. Two different things. You might have great works. You might help people or do different things, but it's the attitude behind it, the fruit of it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Right? When, when, when Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about all the gifts of the Spirit, and then he moves into chapter 13, the love chapter, the transition is Paul says, I want to show you a more excellent way. And that's the way of love. That's the way all your gifts are to be in operation. Every, everything in your life that God has gifted you to do and asked you to do, it has to operate in love. Has to. It's the fruit of your life. And you've got to ask yourself, are, are you loving? Are you patient? Do you go the extra mile? Jesus has all these people just pressing him, pressing him. He could have said, listen, wait a second, man. I'm about to go to the cross here in a year. How about you doing something for me? I'm going to die here and, and, and think about me too. No, Jesus just served and loved and served and loved and, and he wanted to. The fruit of a life is love, joy, peace. Is that, how, is that what our service to the Lord looks like or is it everything a burden or hard or oh, calling me again? Don't lose my number. Call someone else. And then Jesus says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And we want to. Oh, he's my Savior. I'll go to church. I'll go to Calvary Chapel. I'll go to whatever. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? You think I'm talking to hear myself? Like you ever tell your kids that? You think I'm telling you this to hear myself talk? Right? No. I'm telling you this because I want you to do it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you? Why are you reading the Bible? You're not going to do it. And then he talks about a foundation of a life. Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I'll show you who he's like. He's like a man who built a house. That's easy, right? If you've ever built a house or remodeled or starts with a foundation. You got to dig around it. You got to put the drainage in. You got to do, but it needs a footer. It needs a foundation. It needs everything you see that's underground that you don't see, I mean. He's building the house and he dug deep and he laid the foundation on the rock and when the floods arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and it couldn't shake it. It was founded on a rock. You know what? You might get broken windows. You might get a flood and need a new hot water tank. You might need, but guess what? The house is going to stand. It's not going anywhere. You'll have trouble. The storms are coming. You might have repairs. But the foundation of that house is not going anywhere because you hear the word of God and you do it. But he says, listen, he who hears and did not the things, let me back up, but he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Man, you build this great house, it's got great walls, you got it, it's amazing, you got triple insulated windows, you got lifetime shingles, but there's no foundation. It looks great for a while, but when the storms come, the walls fall in. Not just a broken window, but you've got a fallen down 
house. It's somebody who hears the word, hears the word, and, and the trouble is when you just keep hearing it and not doing it, you become immune to the word of God and numb to it and desensitized to what God is saying. And you're just used to, you know what, I just don't do that. It's not for me. I'm not going to do that. It's not for me. Well, listen, I would do that, but don't you know who they are? And we excuse the Bible and we make room for our behavior and we think it's okay. And we compare ourselves to someone else who's not listening to the Bible and think it's okay. They don't either. But he's warned, he says, listen, the storms are going to come and it's going to fall without a foundation. Right? We're going to take communion. I almost forgot. That's the covenant God made. That's a reminder as we take communion, it's a reminder of what Jesus did for you and I. The, the cracker and grape juice is a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice, his love, his care over your life, over mine, forever. In this life and the life to come because he cares that much. So Lord, we thank you uh, for your love. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for your word. It's life to us, Lord. It instructs us. It goes against the grain of our character so often, Lord. And we can't do it on our own. We need your power, your strength uh, that you offer to us by your Holy Spirit. So we ask you for that, Lord. I pray that you would infuse your word into not just our minds, but in our hearts. God, we want to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Because the Bible says that we can deceive ourselves if we do that. It's deceptive to to hear your word and hear your word and and never act on it. So we want to do that, Lord. Thank you that that's your desire, God. So I pray that you give us power, Lord, in your name.